The virtual Bible study is about to begin. Stand by. The virtual Bible study will begin in just a few seconds. It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, Internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 one three eight one four five six seven or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com we hope you'll take out your bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of god's word on this edition of the virtual bible study good evening and welcome to the virtual bible study tonight's thursday may the fifth may the third and we're glad that you're here glad that you're listening to the virtual bible study tonight uh, we're here every Thursday, Lord willing, at 8 o'clock Central Time for an online Bible study. And we encourage you to participate with us. We like to get uh, audience participation. We think it makes our program better. And so as we're discussing Bible things tonight, we hope that you'll take time to either write us an email message. And the email address is questions at collegeview.com, spell collegeview, C-O-L-L-E-G-E-V-U-E, collegeview.com, questions at collegeview.com. You can send us an email, and we'll try to respond. You can also give us a phone call, and we'll get you right on the air. The phone number here is 931-381-4567. Again, 931-381-4567. We'd love to have your participation in our program tonight. Uh, Jacob has the night off tonight. My name's Greg Gwynn. Jacob Gwynn, my son, is the, one of the normal hosts. He's off tonight. And, and as a last-minute stand-in, my good friend Chris Bates has agreed to come and help. Chris, thanks for being with us tonight. Well, thank you for the invitation and also to the elders here at College View for the opportunity to contend for the faith here. Thank you, Chris. Thanks for being here. Last week on the program, uh, I was actually absent last week, and uh, but the, the topic had to do with... If Jesus were alive today, and if he were to be crucified today, who would be the ones responsible for causing his crucifixion? Uh, and, you know, it was sort of a, a look at who were the people who caused him to be crucified back in the first century, and who are their modern-day counterparts? Kind of an interesting study. I appreciated those who participated in it last week. I got to listen to most of it. Um, in the course of that discussion, an email came in from a good friend up in Missouri, Randy from up in Missouri, a fellow I've been knowing for years and years and years. Randy, I hope you're listening tonight. He sent an email. Uh, he, he said he wanted to generate discussion with it, and I want to read it to you, and we want to use it as the basis of our discussion for the program tonight. And for those who are listening, if you will look on the website, there's a there's an extra little window, a little button there on the page where you came to listen to the virtual Bible study. There's a little link there where you can go to a uh, PDF file and you can actually see this email message and uh, you can read it because we want you to be looking ahead at the things that are mentioned there for the sake of of, of commenting about these things as we go along. But let me read the email uh, from Randy. He says, please don't take this as a person, uh, uh, let me start over, please don't take this as personally critical. I'm just writing this to generate discussion. He says, okay, I'll be controversial. The people who crucified Jesus in the first century were the religious legalists. 
They valued the traditions of man over the revealed word of God. When Jesus violated their man-made rules, they crucified him. So I think today the religious legalists would be the ones who would be intolerant of Jesus. Then he goes on to identify the ones that he believes are the modern-day legalists. The legalists are the ones who, for example, prohibit all consumption of alcohol, prohibit smoking or tobacco use of any kind, require strict observance of a Sunday Sabbath and mandatory church attendance, require dressing up for church services, require that you attend their church to be saved, prohibit the use of musical instruments because instruments are not mentioned in the New Testament, even though they use lots of other devices not mentioned in the New Testament, require the use of their style of music, and prohibit all attendance at movies and dancing on principle. Uh, He says, obedience of all the above is required for fellowship and salvation, even though the New Testament allows for tolerant use of all of the above. You're free to disagree. I'm sure you will. Have fun on the show. I'll try to listen to the archive version. Well, Randy, we appreciate your email. And really, because of the things you mentioned here, uh, I thought it'd be worth addressing this. Chris, you and I talked about it earlier. Seems like something that we really need to talk about. I especially want to talk about this question of being a legalist. You know, very often, if, if that word comes up in a religious conversation, usually people are quite alarmed. Oh, I don't want to be a legalist. Legalism is bad. I mean, and so we need to really get a handle on that word. I think it's important. Yeah, well, it depends, again, on who you're talking to as to what legalism means. But if you're looking at it uh, from a purely humanistic realm, you're talking about those who are trying to hold to a line, those who are being legal versus those who are being illegal. But as it relates to the situation that existed in the first century with those of, of Jesus' day, his contemporaries, their issue was not being legalistic with reference to the law handed down by God, but rather uh, elevating their, their traditions above the traditions of God, uh, the traditions of, of uh, uh, the law of Moses. When I say traditions, I don't mean optional issues here. We're talking about uh, commandments that were handed down that were binding. Those who observed those and bound them on others, uh, if you want to call them legalistic, you, I suppose you can, but if you're doing it from a standpoint of trying to cast some kind of negative tone on them, uh, I'm not sure that that's fair. Let's look at some of the verses, Chris. I think we can, first of all, I think the first point we want to make is that there's absolutely nothing wrong with insisting upon people obeying what the Bible says they should do. Mm -hmm. Jesus said clearly, John 14, verse 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. Jesus taught commandment keeping. I mean, there's nothing wrong with telling people you ought to do what the Bible says to do. That's right. Well, that's is, is exactly what the Lord said to the Pharisees. You know, he... Uh, on a number of occasions, dealt with them, but one particular occasion was their issue where they were binding upon the disciples of Christ that they should be washing their hands when they ate bread. Uh, And Jesus said, you know, God said this, but you say that. And the clear implication is that whatever God said, that's what you ought to be doing. And the modern-day example of that is, what does the Scripture say? Exactly. We say that. That's exactly what Jesus was saying. Exactly right. Uh, when, if the Bible says do it, you can't condemn anybody for insisting that it be done. In First John chapter 2, verse 3, Hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. We we can't know 
whether or not we're in a right relationship with God, short of understanding his commands and obeying them. And and so if if you want to call someone a legalist because they're saying the Bible says to do this, then I guess I'd be willing to wear that that label. I mean, well, if that's if that's what a legalist is, is one who says the Bible says to do this, and that's what you ought to do. If we might go somewhere for just a second, um, if I might just ask you a question. Uh, when you hear the term someone throws around and says, well, that's a real legalistic view of that, you know, whatever that is, that's a legalistic view. What do you understand them to be saying, essentially? I usually uh, understand and mean that's a very strict, conservative, to-the-letter interpretation. Okay, my question then would be, those who call others legalistic, would they not be legalistic about that? Yeah. Would, they, would they not? Are they willing to move off of that? Or are they absolutely certain you're a legalist, and therefore I can't be removed from that position? Is that not also legalistic? If well, not, why not? Yeah, you know, in in some areas, I suppose we're all legalists. Aren't you? you know, for instance, when I go over here to the gas station and buy some gas, and maybe go in and buy me a Coca Cola and a candy bar. Right. When I give the gal my money. And I want change. I expect her to give exactly the change back that I'm due. Now, am I being a legalist? Because, in other words, if I'm due five dollars and forty-five cents and she gives me three dollars and twenty cents, am I being a legalist by saying, "Oh, you're wrong there. You didn't give me my change." That'd be legalist, wouldn't right. it? I mean, in, in some in some respects and in some interpretations. Yeah. So what we're saying is, if it's right and you insist on it being right, and that makes you a legalist, then so be it. Then so be it. Jesus said, First John five verse three, for this is the love of God that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not grievous. Notice the 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 uh, sort of repeated emphasis on keeping commandments. In Luke chapter six verse forty six, Jesus said, Why call you me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? You can't call him Lord if you're not willing to do the things that he said. Now, <clears throat> that that's the first point that I want to stress, Chris, is that if it means you're a legalist because you simply say, here's what the Bible says to do and you ought to do it, then I suppose we'll have to wear that label. I'm not, a, I'm not ashamed of that label if that's what you mean by that. Mm-hmm. But having said that, I think that there's a... When some people think of legalism, they, in their mind, almost automatically equate that with the Pharisees of Jesus' day. And the Pharisees were, of course, the ones, there's not anybody that Jesus condemned more consistently than the Pharisees. He was constantly condemning them for the way they were, the way they practiced their religion and so forth. So the Pharisees were wrong. There's no doubt about it. Were they wrong, though? because they were legalists. Were they wrong, and here's what I mean by legalists, were they wrong because they were insisting that people keep the Old Testament law of Moses, remembering that Jesus lived his whole life under that Old Testament system. In other words, it was the law of God at that time. And uh, my question is, was Jesus down on the Pharisees because they said, you got to do this. Book of Leviticus says do it this way. You got to do it this way. Book of Deuteronomy says do it this way. You got to do it this way. Is that what Jesus was was upset with them about? Well, if he was, then he indicted Moses also because Moses was the one who delivered these commands to them and bound them upon the people. Of course, God binding them upon the people, but Moses recited this to them in Deuteronomy 5 when uh, just before he would uh, he would die and then they would finally um, uh, be ready to uh, be led into the promised land and 
on down the road there, but uh, um, he says to them in Deuteronomy 5 that they are to hear the statutes and ordinances which he was speaking today, that they should be careful to observe them. And then he cited the, the Ten Commandments and on and on. Uh, if Jesus was, was condemning the Pharisees for calling on others to obey the law of God as delivered through Moses, then it was also an indictment on Moses, whom the Hebrew writer says was a man of faith. Yeah. You know, there's a real interesting passage along this line, just as, as you were saying, Chris, in Matthew chapter 23. Matthew chapter 23, beginning at verse 1. Jesus said to the multitude and to, and to his disciples, the scribes and Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. All therefore whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do. Now, notice, he says, when they're, when they're speaking the law of Moses, he says, they sit in Moses' seat. That is, that when they teach the law of Moses, remembering, of course, that that was the law that was in force at that time. When they tell you the law of Moses, when they tell you what it says and what you ought to do, whatever they tell you, do it. Sure. Jesus didn't. Jesus wasn't complaining because they were teaching a strict observance of the law of Moses. He never. In fact, I would challenge any of our listeners who think otherwise. Find a single instance where Jesus ever rebuked the Pharisees because they were calling upon people to obey the law of Moses. What the Old Testament bound upon. You can't do it. I'm telling you. You can try, but you can't find it. You go back to that scenario that we brought up a moment ago with the Pharisees binding upon. Uh, men, the idea of washing their hands when they ate bread. If the argument is, and I'm not sure that someone is actually making this, but if the argument is that, well, uh, the Pharisees were legalistic because they were calling on other people to obey the law of Moses, if that's the argument, then what if they, let's, let's play a little what if for a moment. What if the situation in Matthew, 9, Matthew 15, rather, had been such that they were not saying, uh, whoever has, uh, who, whoever says to his father or mother, whatever I have that would help you has been given to God, he's not to honor his father or mother. But see, Jesus said, this is what you're saying, but God said, honor your father and mother. Well, what if the Pharisees were going around binding that upon people? Honor your father and mother. Would Jesus have said, no, that's not what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to tell your mom or dad, whatever I have that would help you has been given to God. You don't have to honor them anymore. You're a bunch of legalists. Uh, I just wonder if that's what he would have said. No, would turn the tables. That's right. Would he have taken that position had they been, and notice what he did. He appealed to the law of Moses and took no other alternative there. He did not allow for another view on that. You have to honor your mother and father under that Old Testament law. That was non-negotiable. It was just not negotiable at all. Yeah. Would he have? Uh, would he have been legalistic to say when someone comes to him and say, "Well, now wait a minute, Jesus. I don't think you have to do that." Uh, look, look at this. I tell you, Matthew twenty-three really lays out the Pharisees. I mean, it's. But notice verse, I think, uh, I imagine many of our listeners have already noticed verse 23. It's very important. Matthew 23, 23. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought ye to have done, and not to leave the other undone. Now notice this. Here's how careful the Pharisees were about keeping the law of Moses. When they brought in a crop of Mint, anise, and cumin. You know what those are? Those are garden herbs. 
And a whole crop, a whole year's crop might just be a handful. Mm -hmm. A handful of that would last you a whole year. And yet they were so careful to observe the law of Moses. The law of Moses, you've got to give a tenth of your, of your harvest. Mm -hmm. And they would divide that little handful of herbs up and give a tenth of it. Now, yeah, they were willing to put that kind of... That's how strict. That's how strict they were. What did Jesus say about that? He said... You should not have left that undone. You should have done that. That's right, good. You should right. do that. He says the problem is that you've left off judgment, mercy, and faith. These you ought to do. Don't leave the others undone. In other words, I'm not right. I'm not condemning you for paying a tithe of even your garden right. herbs. You keep doing that. That's fine. That's what you should do. Get busy and do these other things, too. So even in that case where they were meticulously mm -hmm. observing the law of tithing, Jesus didn't rebuke them for that. And so somebody says, well, that's just, uh, I'm telling you, what, those Pharisees were so legalistic that they even demand people would give a tithe of their garden herbs. Jesus said, yeah, that's fine. No problem with that. We're going to go, we're going to take a break, Chris. When we come back, let's, let's see if we can really hone in on the problem of the Pharisees. Uh, what we're saying here is the problem with the Pharisees was not that they insisted on people keeping God's law. If that Pacific. was the problem, then we would also have to have a problem with our Lord. Yeah, exactly right. We'll be, right we'll be right back right after this break. Don't touch that mouse. The virtual Bible study will be back right after this. Hello, everyone. I'm Wade Shelton, a member of the College View Church of Christ. If you're like me, you've probably heard a lot of rumors about what the Church of Christ is all about. But regardless of what the rumors you may have heard, let me just quickly tell you what we are about. The College View Church of Christ is simply a group of Christians that is committed to doing everything that God has commanded us in exactly the way that he commanded us to do it. So we just simply open our Bibles and study them to determine what God has commanded us to do, and then we try to do it. It's just really that simple. Are you interested in being part of a group of people who have this approach to serving God? If so, I hope you will join me and my family as we worship God with the College View Church of Christ this Sunday at 9.30 a.m. Hi, my name is Troy Smith. I'm 12 years old, and I love to listen to the Virtual Bible Study. Use your Internet connection for something good. Listen to the Virtual Bible Study every week. Now, back to the program. And we're back, and we're waiting to hear from you. We're ready to take emails from you. The email address is questions at collegeview.com. We'd also be glad to take a phone call from you, 931-381-4567. Uh, that voice you just heard doing the intro and outro for our ad there is Chris Bates. He he did those spots for us a long time ago. He's But you can speak to him live tonight. He's right here with us, Chris. <laughs> yeah. We're enjoying the discussion. We're talking about legalism and who is a legalist. And I hope we were able to make our point very clear that when the Pharisees in Jesus' day insisted on people carefully observing the law of Moses, that they were not condemned. Jesus did not condemn them for. Now, what he did condemn them for was just rank hypocrisy. That's right. In other words, they said one thing but did another. Uh, continuing on there in Matthew chapter 23 at verse 3, Whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do, but do not ye after their works, for they say and do not. For they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be borne, and they lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. But all their works they do for to be seen of men. They make broad their phylacteries and enlarge the borders of their garments and love the uppermost rooms at feasts and chief seats in the synagogues and greetings in the markets and to be called of men, Rabbi, Rabbi. So they were just hypocrites. They would tell others and even tell them accurately what they ought to be doing, but they wouldn't do it themselves, Chris. And that, that, that I'm telling you, that rubs anybody wrong. <laughs> well, sure it does. And I think somewhere in the neighborhood of eight or nine times in Matthew 23, Jesus refers to them as hypocrites. And throughout his... Uh, ministry while he was on earth, he warned about hypocrisy. 
Uh, he warned about it in the Sermon on the Mount when he said that one should not judge from a hypocritical standpoint in Matthew 7, verses 1 to 5. He warned about it when they were, uh, we brought up Matthew 15 earlier, that uh, they were hypocrites. Rightly did Isaiah prophesy concerning you. And so yeah, that the problem through and through was never, ever that they did what was right but that they were being hypocritical and doing what was wrong. And you've already also suggested another one of their problems, in addition to hypocrisy, was that they were trying to bind their human traditions in addition to the law of God. Uh, you, you mentioned earlier Matthew 15, beginning at verse 1, then came, then came to Jesus scribes and Pharisees, this is Matthew 15, 1, which were of Jerusalem, saying, Why do thy disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. Well, the law most didn't say you had to wash your hands. Did. That's right. And notice, they were bold enough to say it. Why do they transgress the, 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 the or uh, break the tradition of the elders? But, but notice, they didn't say, Why do they break the law of Moses? That's right. they, they didn't say that. They said this was the tradition of the elders. And, and so that's what they were upset with. And then Jesus, of course, rebuked them, as you said earlier, because they had established traditions that even caused people to violate the, the, the known law of God. In other words, not only did they add traditions to what God's law taught, they, their traditions even contradicted God's law, and they had observed their traditions instead of observing God's law. And, that, and that's what caused Jesus to make the, the, the very often repeated statement in verse 8, Matthew 15, 8, This people draw nigh to me with their mouth and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of many. He's actually quoting from Isaiah when he said that. So the problem there was that they were binding their traditions. So, so get it now. What's wrong with the Pharisees? Hypocrisy and trying to add their own items to what the Bible, their Bible, the Old Testament, taught in that time. Jesus, you can't do that. It's not right. Well, that's right. And there were prohibitions in that uh, standard about doing that. Deuteronomy 4 and uh, verse 2, uh, you shall not add to the word which I'm commanding you today, nor shall you take away from it. Uh, Proverbs 30. I mean, we can just go on and on. Deuteronomy 12. Would and, and, and wouldn't we also be on board today, Chris, if someone tried to start adding things to the word of God? Right? In other words, what was wrong with the Pharisees would also be wrong today. In other words, if someone today came along and started adding things to the word of God, we would object just as strenuously as Jesus did. Yeah, Paul told Timothy when he, when he wrote his first letter to him, he opens his letter and he says, As I urged you in verse 3, upon my departure from Macedonia, remain on at Ephesus so that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines. So there is an established right and there is a multitude of wrong. And, uh, uh, you know, he was more than right, Timothy was, and Paul was, to take a stand against those who would add to or take away from what God had to say. Uh, the book of Revelation says, um, I testify to every, this is Revelation 22, verse 18, I testify to every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. If any man shall add to these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. We're not to add to or take from. That, that's repeated throughout the Bible. And if anybody wants to add to what God's law says and try to bind that upon people, we're going to object. That's why Jesus objected to the Pharisees. Their hypocrisy 
and they're adding their human tradition. There was one other thing that we might add in as a as a condemning factor to the Pharisees, and that is that they actually believed that they were perfect. They believed that they could perfectly keep God's law. Uh, in Philippians 3, the Apostle Paul describes himself. He had been a Pharisee. He said in Philippians 3, verse 4, Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Here Paul said, when I was a Pharisee, I believed I was absolutely blameless, perfect. Right. Absolutely. You know, and so they, they, their arrogance and pride, they wouldn't even recognize their own faults or confess them. That was another thing wrong with the Pharisees. Now what we're saying is, anybody who has those same faults today would be equally condemned. Sure. That is, if you're a hypocrite, if you try to bind your human opinions and traditions, if you claim you're perfect and won't admit your faults, any one of those things or any combination of those things would cause you to be condemned just like Jesus condemned the Pharisees, but not because you strictly try to teach and, and encourage people to obey what the, what the Scriptures teach. That's right. Well, everybody has, if, if you will, a system of faith. And what I mean by everybody, there are those who hold to the system of faith as revealed in God's Word. There are others who hold to a system of faith that seems right to them. Uh, and so when someone starts giving us a list of things here and telling us that uh, um, these things are how I view legalism uh, and I'm not willing to be removed from, from this view, you know, this kind of thing, or the uh, folks who prohibit all consumption of alcohol, so on and so forth, uh, they are legalist, uh, you know, and so I want to condemn them because they're they're doing all of this. It seems to me that, again, they are following a system of faith. Uh, whether it's right or wrong, it's a system of faith. And they are holding to a particular line. And for them, it's not negotiable. Exactly right. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, you know, so when we're holding to the line of, of the New Testament, which is what governs us today, we're called legalist. But when others hold to a different line, not willing to be removed from that, they don't like the charge. That's sort of like the lady who years ago told me that she was very against being dogmatic. She says, I, I, she says I'm only dogmatic about one thing, and that's about not being dogmatic. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> well, well, you pick, your, pick sure. what you want to be dogmatic about. Sure. All right. Now, uh, by the way, we're waiting to hear from you at 931-381-4567, or you can send us an email message, questions at collegeview.com. We'd love to hear from you. We want your participation on this discussion about legalism. But now, now maybe let's get into some of the particulars mentioned in the email. And also on the website tonight, we've got a little extra button up there. And if you'd like to click on and read uh, some of these, there are eight points in this email that are suggested as manifestations of modern-day legalism. And we want to talk about each of those briefly. We've got about half the program, a little over half the program to go, and we want to talk about these things. And so you can look at that. Uh, if you'll click on that button, you can see these things that are listed. R- remembering that, our, uh, that the one who sent in the email, our friend Randy in Missouri, said, Obedience is required for fellowship and salvation, even though the New Testament allows for tolerant use of all these things. He had just listed, he said, legalists are the ones who, for example, first of all, Chris, prohibit all consumption of alcohol. Now, 
the, the, the email message said, the New Testament allows for a tolerant use of these things. Does the New Testament allow for a tolerant use of alcohol? No, not at all. Not when it comes to drinking for the sake of just social purposes or drinking for the sake of getting drunk. Now, there clearly is, and we'd be, we'd be uh, um, dishonest not to acknowledge that there was some uh, medicinal purpose for something. You know, Paul uh, reminded Timothy that he should take a little wine for the sake of his stomach. First, first Timothy 5.23, drink no longer water, but use a little wine for thy stomach's sake and thine often infirmities. Yeah, so in, uh, in other words, I don't know anybody who, who says, if the doctor told you to drink a little wine because he believed there was a clear medicinal benefit for it, uh, I think there are much th- we got medicines a lot better sure, than wine sure, these days. Sure. But if, if 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 a legitimate doctor, I'm not talking about some well, quack out here, but if some legitimate right. doctor said this is exactly what your medical condition dictates, I don't know any, anybody who would object because because if somebody the only objection I might offer, and and it's a small one, is that uh, apparently the. Uh, agent that would have worked in this would have been alcohol. Else, it could have been grape juice, fruit of the vine. Um, it would have been that. But if alcohol is the uh, again is the agent that relieves the ailment of the stomach, then there are a number of of cough medicines or other over-the-counter medicines or whatever they are that has that ingredient in there that uh, would have accomplished whatever it was that the wine would have accomplished were it simply the idea of alcohol being the medicinal agent in, in that uh, command. Well, I actually think, though, Chris, that there in First Timothy 5, the word wine could be. Yeah, oinos. It, it, it could be just yeah, grape juice. In other words, he, he, they, and, and everything I've ever read about the medicinal benefits of wine, the, the same medicinal benefits are available in grape juice. Okay. But what I'm saying is nobody, in, in other words, the, the email said legalists would prohibit all consumption of alcohol. Well, uh, first of all, we're not going to prohibit it for medicinal purposes. That's right. That's right. I so mean, that's, I would if the doctor prescribed you narcotic drugs mm-hmm. as what you needed for your medic. Well, I'd say take them. Right. But I, but that's not the same as going out go out here in the street and engage in recreational drug Buy use. Like cocaine and heroin yeah, and yeah. all that. So that's not true. That no. that that legalists prohibit. All consumption of alcohol, or at least the legalist whom we are being um, uh, lumped in with. Yeah, but i tell you something else that that statement there to Timothy proves. I think it proves it very clearly. Here's Timothy, who by all by all accounts was an, an exemplary Christian of the first century era. What does it tell you was his normal practice? Complete yeah, abstinence. That's right, because he's... He had to be told. Right. He had to be told, drink a little that's for right. your stomach's sake yeah. and your often infirmity, which proves that his normal course of activity was drink abstain. none at all. Abstain, abstain totally. Mm-hmm. We know he was a faithful Christian of the first century. How did Christians of the first century view drinking intoxicants? Abstain. Abstain from it, yeah. Uh, okay. There's other passages here. I want, to, I want to get one in real quickly, and then we're going to move on to another point when we, when we come back from a break. But in First Peter chapter 4, verses 3 and 4... Peter said, the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lasciviousness, lust, excessive wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries, wherein they think it strange that you run not with them to the same excessive riot, speaking evil of you. There are three words there, excessive wine, revelings, and banquetings. They go down in order of, of uh, drunkenness, I right, guess right. is the way to say it. 
Each of them is less than the word drunkenness, but d- describes degrees of intoxication. Mm-hmm. Excessive wine would be sort of just what we'd say really drunk. Revelings would be intoxicated, but maybe this guy is sort of like the life of the party. You know, he's he's drunk, but he's still he, he's not he's not sure. falling down drunk. Sure. And then, but the word banquetings is real interesting. The word banquetings there suggests drinking, but with no reference to excess at all. That's right. The, the matter of fact, the definition that Thayer, the Greek and English lexicon, gives of that of banquetings is simply this: a drinking. A drink. That's all it is. And no, and no, no indication of excess. I would use First Peter four verses three and four I think to prove strong. that Christians should not drink at all. I think it's and, strong. And it would be the burden of those who believe otherwise to to offer an argument justifying the drinking of 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 any alcohol uh, at all. And the folks except who abstain, for except for the potential medicinal if, purpose. And the folks who abstain. It is, the, it is those who abstain who are being railed against by the ones who are engaging in it as if they are being maligned. Because Peter says in all of these things, they wonder why you do not run into the same excess of dissipation with them and they malign you. Uh, I would have one other question about this, and, and then if you want to move on, you can. We've got to go to break real quick. Okay. Um, if, if it is legalist to prohibit all consumption of alcohol, or legalistic, is it also legalistic for someone to write, do not look on the wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly. At the last, it stings like a serpent, so on and so forth. He said don't even look at it. Was that legalistic? That's from the Proverbs. That's right. Exactly right. All right. We've we got several other things we want to talk about. But what we're saying about the consumption of alcohol is we're, we're only teaching that, that Christians should not consume alcohol because we understand it's what the Bible teaches. We're, that's not our tradition. We're not adding right. something there. That's what we understand the Bible clearly teaches. If we're wrong, then it would be the burden of someone to show why that line of reasoning is wrong. In other words, if, it's, if we've interpreted the Bible accurately, then that's what the Bible teaches. And we're not being legalistic, sinfully legalistic. We're not being like the Pharisees. We're not binding our own tradition. That's right. We're simply teaching what the Bible teaches. All right, we're going to go to a break. We want to hear from you. Look ahead at some of the things we're going to be covering in this email, some of the things that uh, that one... one uh, uh, correspondent suggested indicated a legalistic mindset when it comes to religion. Look at that and comment. We'll be glad to hear from you. Send us an email and uh, or give us a phone call. We'll be right back after this break. You won't want to miss what we talk about next. The discussion continues right after these important messages. Do you remember a time when no one had ever heard of a church with a family life center or a gymnasium? Can you think back to a time when good brethren would have been outraged to see a church budget overloaded? with kitchen equipment and supplies, athletic equipment, and buses to carry kids to amusement parks. Are you concerned because the church you're attending has gotten all wrapped up in things that you know should not even be a part of the work of the church? Would you like to find a congregation that is committed to simply doing Bible things in Bible ways? If so, please visit us soon. Come and see for yourself. Visit us at the College View Church of Christ this Sunday morning at 9.30 a.m. A streaming Bible study. Why didn't I think of that? Now back to the guys. And we're back. Uh, hope you're enjoying the discussion, and we'd like to get you to participate in it. Send us an email at questions at collegeview.com, questions at collegeview.com, or call us, 931-381-4567. We got an email from Mike here in Columbia who says, according to Roger's thesaurus, and some antonyms of the word legal are antonyms. That would be the opposite, right? 
illegal, unlawful, illicit, invalid, and illegitimate. And that was from a thesaurus? Yeah, and so and those are antonyms. In other words, those are the opposites of being illegal. What's another word for thesaurus? <laughs> I'm not sure. He says, with this in mind, if someone wants to refer to me as a legalist or refer to me by using one of those antonyms of the word legal, I will gladly be called a legalist any day. In other words, if sure. you, you get Mike's point, he says, yeah. if you're not a legalist, then you're a... Illegalist. You are unlawful. You are illicit. You are invalid. You are illegitimate. I don't want to be any of those things. Well, I'd rather be a legalist. Look at it, if, if I might say, look at it from the standpoint of our current immigration situation in this country. There are those who are here legally, those who are here illegally. Uh, are we going to rail against the ones who played by the rules and came here? Are we, are we going to? We don't have any problem with the legal That's right. aliens. That's right. We, but we do with the illegal yeah. ones. Uh, Mike concludes his email by saying in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9, Paul asks, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? And then he, Mike adds, I believe we can substitute the word unlawful for the word unrighteous. In other words, if you're not right, if you're unlawful, if you're illegal, you're not going to inherit the kingdom of heaven. Thanks for your email, Mike. I think you make a good point. Appreciate you listening to the virtual Bible study tonight. Again, if you will look at our website tonight, we've got an extra little button there, and you can click on and bring up a PDF file which shows this email that we're trying to comment about. In other words, what we're looking at here is some things that were suggested as manifestations of modern-day legalism. Uh, and uh, this, the next one was about prohibiting smoking or tobacco use of any type. Chris, you preach against tobacco use? Uh, I do. I do. Um, I, at least for the Christian. Um, the passages that I would look at would apply only to the Christian, and so uh, I do because I think, for one thing, his influence is harmed. I don't ever read about the Lord engaging in this kind of activity, which uh, first stems from rebellion. Uh, you know, the, the folks who engage in smoking typically rebel against someone, the establishment or whatever that is, uh, and it's all about rebellion and drawing attention to oneself and um, not to mention the fact that now, after all of these years of study, uh, we have learned that smoking is bad for your health. It contains carcinogens. I think that there are uh, 39 or 40, maybe thereabouts, known carcinogens in cigarette smoke, um, and they have been known to cause cancer uh, in a number of, of men and women. Uh, now, will every single person that smokes a cigarette all of their life always come down with some kind of cancer? No, not necessarily. But uh, the health benefits are no longer really suspect here, and one is not being a good steward of his body who engages in this kind of thing that he knows from the get-go uh, is first without any authority from the Word of God, and secondly, uh, has been proven to be unhealthy. You know, not, we, to the mention, verse... not to mention the most important thing, it proves to completely disintegrate your example for Christ. Exactly right. A couple of, uh, the, as, as a Christian, we've got to be concerned about example. Matthew 5, 16, let your light shine. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20, but again addressed toward Christians is that you know your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost and so forth. Uh, mm -hmm. You're supposed to glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. I would potentially use 1 Corinthians 6, verse 12, that would be applicable to all. And that is where Paul said, I will not be brought under the power of anything. I will not be mastered by anything. And there I think he was suggesting the idea of things to which we would become addicted. 
It could be any number of things. And I think in the context there, 1 Corinthians 6, he even suggested the idea of maybe uh, uh, illicit sexual activity mm-hmm. and that you might be brought under the... And there are people who become addicted to such as that. And I, I think Paul teaches a principle in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 12, not to allow ourselves to be addicted to anything or brought under the power of anything. Well, I might use that verse and try to sure. try to encourage all people that God does not want us to, to, to engage in addictive behavior. Well, I don't want to disagree with you at all on that. I think the principle is certainly clear. We don't need to be mastered by anything, although he proceeds that by saying all things are lawful for me. Yeah. So you have to understand what he's talking about. Uh, And you have to appreciate that when he said all things are lawful for me, there is a context around the statement. Paul is not saying I've got a blank check to do anything in the world because everything is lawful. You know that fornication isn't lawful. You know that murder isn't lawful. If it were, the fellow up here wouldn't be stuck outside the kingdom of God for being in it. So all things are not every single thing someone can do. Uh, But the principle is clear. He will not be mastered by anything, whether it's lawful or whether it's not lawful. Yeah. He's not going to be mastered. And if one is of a godly mindset, that's how he's going to live his life. Yeah. So, again, are you being a legalist when you tell people not to use tobacco? I don't think so, because I think we're looking at biblical principles. In other words, we're not, to be sinfully legalistic, like the Pharisee, it, it, to be like a Pharisee. You know, I, we've got to get away from that word legalist because we don't think it's wrong to, 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 to teach the law. Right. To, to be wrong like the Pharisees, we'd be having to bind our own opinion there. In other words, I, just pick something out of the blue. I, Chris, I think it's a sin to eat tacos, and if you eat tacos, <laughs> you, you, know, you can't go to heaven. Right. And I better never catch you at a Mexican restaurant. Well, there's no Bible for that. There's just not, there's no foundation in the scriptures at all for that. But that's totally different than say teaching someone not to use tobacco because we can look to biblical principles that would that would argue that a person who wants to please God won't use tobacco. You know, inevitably, it's interesting you bring up food um, because inevitably the argument uh, when it comes to smoking is well, well, what about all these people who eat all of this food that might not be healthy? Um, you know, again, the jury is a, a little bit out on whether or not some of this food is healthy or not, but everything in moderation. Uh, obviously, we would not condone someone going out and eating 20 cheeseburgers in a day. Uh, you know, we would not condone someone eating 10 pizzas every single day of the rest of his life. But as it relates to food, notice that Paul said that there was coming a time, the Spirit is instructing that there's coming a time when men are going to fall away from the faith and they're going to pay attention to this and to that concerning false doctrine. And he says there will be men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. Uh, There is no food or nothing that is considered food uh, by way of meat or vegetable. There is nothing that is considered food that God does not expect his creation to gratefully share in especially those who believe and know the truth, but everything in moderation. Let me, let me, we got an email coming in. I get a message. Uh, actually, it's an instant message on Google. Uh, it says, uh, there's this fellow. Have you heard of this guy, Chris, this Jose de Jesus, uh, who claims he is 
the second coming of Jesus Christ, this Latino guy who oh, claims man. have you have you seen any well ABC News is has reported that he smokes and drinks but claims he's the second coming of Christ and ABC News is saying that doesn't seem consistent and so the the message is saying this secular source cites this guy's behavior is in contrast to what Christ would do. That's not a religious person saying that. Uh, I wonder if this guy is married, if he measures up to the Christ that other people create that's married to uh, Mary Magdalene. And I, I don't know. But I think I, I get the point uh, from, from the message there that, in other words, even here's a secular source who sees there's some there's some inconsistency with a person who claims to be a Christian or claims to be even the second coming of Christ, but he smokes cigarettes. Yeah, what, what, what would be the reason for coming down on your kids? If you think smoking is okay, why do you get upset when your kids are smoking? Yeah. Even if you get past it. Even an, even an unreligious person is That's going to right. be upset when he finds out his even kids smoking. Even if you get past it tomorrow, why were you upset about it today? Yeah. There's got to be something about that. Let's, let's go to one more here right before our break, Chris. Let's look at an, an, an point number three in our email of things that that this that this uh, correspondent suggested constituted modern day Phariseeism, requiring strict observance of a Sunday Sabbath and mandatory church attendance. You teach the Sunday Sabbath, Chris? Uh, I don't teach the Sunday Sabbath, and the reason I don't is because the New Testament doesn't teach the Let, Sunday Sabbath. Let's see if we can identify what that probably is. I, I'm not sure, but I, my guess is that he means the idea you can't do any work of any kind. In other words, you, in other words the Sabbath was the seventh day in the Old Testament, and they couldn't work at all. And he's saying some have brought that over. For instance, some might criticize you. If you got to mow your grass on Sunday afternoon, sure. you shouldn't be doing that. It's the Sunday Sabbath. Right. That's not in the Bible. We don't teach that. No, and it's not a fair charge. That's not. You're not talking about us. That's right. If you talk, now you might find somebody who does that, and I would join with you in saying that guy doesn't have any basis. He can't do that and have the support of scriptures. In other words, I... I don't mow my grass on Sunday typically because, for one reason, because I don't want to raise any objections from people who might misunderstand. Sure, sure. But but I understand it's a liberty, and I would never I condemn somebody who did it because I believe they they have liberty. Now, what about mandatory church attendance? You teach mandatory church attendance? Um, yes, I do. I teach that one has to attend worship, uh, and I don't know. I mean, I don't know about the term mandatory, but uh, here's what I teach. I teach that uh, we are not to forsake our own assembling, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Matthew, or uh, Hebrews 10.25. Yes, that's what I teach. And I teach that that because that's what was taught in the first century. The Corinthians were told that they were to meet together. They were not meeting together to eat the Lord's Supper as they should. And they they should have been. Yet they were meeting together. Uh, they were abusing what they were meeting together for, but nonetheless, Paul didn't say, oh, by the way, and you're not even meeting together. Well, that one verse, Hebrews 10.25, is enough, isn't it? Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the matter of some is, but exhorting one another. In other words, when we teach people that they ought to attend the worship assemblies, you just do, we're not doing that on the basis of our own opinion. That's not our tradition. That's what the Scripture says. And so, again... If we're teaching what the Bible says, if we're teaching observe the commandments found in the New Testament, then there's nothing wrong with that. Jesus wouldn't have a problem with that. Now, if we're binding our own opinions or our own traditions, or if we're being hypocritical, then we got other issues. But there's nothing wrong with telling people they ought to be faithful to the assemblies because that's what the Scriptures teach. To try to lay down some kind of of, uh, evidence or circumstantial evidence or something, 
In James chapter 2, James begins by saying, My brethren, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. For if a man comes into your assembly, uh, that word I think there is actually synagogue or something like that, that uh, means synagogue, but the synagogue was going to be place used to assemble. That, that was a place of assembly. If somebody comes into your assembly, the implication is you're there, you see this someone, uh, and you treat him thus and so. There is an understood thing. They are assembling somewhere. They are assembling for a purpose. This is a uh, book is written, written for a spiritual purpose. The, the whole purpose of the book, finally, or at least one of the purposes of the book, at the end of the book, is, is to exhort one who has fallen away to come back and all of this. But anyway, uh, here is a place where one assembles. Now, as we begin to put all of this together, we go back here through the New Testament, we find that the New Testament Christians were meeting in the first century on the first day of the week. The reason Acts for 27. That, the reason for that was because the Lord Jesus Christ had risen from the dead on the first day of the week. And they, in every case where they met on the first day of the week, they were eating the Lord's Supper in memory of his death, burial, and resurrection, looking ahead to his coming again. This is what was going on in the first century in the New Testament. And this is what we must do today if we want to follow the New Testament model. And now, so we're not binding anything new That's right. when we insist on people attending worship assemblies. If you don't care about doing things the New Testament way, then I don't suppose you're even involved in this discussion. We're going to go to a break. We'll be back to take it to the top of the hour. Get your emails in now. Our, our next point to discuss is dressing up for church services. Are, are, are there some who insist on a dress code, and does that constitute modern-day Phariseeism? That's our next topic. Get in on it. We'll be right back after the break. Did you hear what they just said? Call in during this break and let everyone know what you think. The virtual Bible study continues after this announcement. Me again, Mike Smith at the Cosby Church of Christ. Let me ask you some more questions. Do you remember when the pulpit was used for the purpose of convicting sinners and teaching them how to be saved? Are you tired of preachers who seem more inclined to entertain their audience than to teach them the truth? Does it seem that sermons you are, te- you are hearing each week could as easily be given in a PTA meeting or a social club? Do you remember when sin was called sin, and at the end of the sermon you knew, by book, chapter, and verse, what the preacher was talking about and why? Well, we're still preaching the old Jerusalem gospel that you read about in your Bible. We invite you to investigate for yourself. Please come and see the Sunday at the College of Church of Christ at 9.30 a.m. on Hampshire Pike. Hello, my name's Jeffrey Vernon. I'm 13, and this is the Virtual Bible Study. Hello, everyone. I'm Monty, a member of the College View Church of Christ. So you've been hearing all about the College View Church of Christ on the Virtual Bible Study and are interested in finding out more about the church. But you live hundreds of miles away from Columbia, Tennessee, and can't come and visit with the congregation to find out more. There's no reason to fear. After all, we live in the 21st century. Here's what you can do to find out more about the College View Church of Christ. First, why don't you check out our website while you're listening to the virtual Bible study? You'll find important information about the church there, including bulletin articles there on various subjects, and can even listen to sermons that have been presented at the College View Church in the past. Secondly, if you have questions about the church or about any Bible teaching, why don't you send an email to us and let us know how we can help. Send your questions to questions at collegeview.com. That address, once again, is questions at collegeview.com. We can even have a personal Bible study with you over email if you desire. And finally, if you would rather talk with someone in person, give us a call at 931-381-4567. That's 931-381-4567. You can call this number anytime. If you don't get an answer, leave a message and we'll call you back as soon as we can. We're glad you're listening to the virtual Bible study and hope to hear from you soon. 
My name's Roger Toombs, and me and my wife love to listen to the virtual Bible study on Thursday nights. A streaming Bible study. Why didn't I think of that? Now back to the guys. And we're back. We're going to go to the top of the hour. We're talking about the possibility that we could be the modern-day equivalent of the Pharisees in the time of Christ. And uh, one person who sent in email suggested some things that might be an indication of that, Chris. And one of those, and by the way, again, you can look on our website and you can see this email so that you can consider it. We'd like to get your input on this. The email address, questions at collegeview.com, phone number 931-381-4567. He says, modern-day Pharisees would require dressing up for church services. Uh, Chris, what kind of dress code you got where you where you attend? Well, if you don't hold to it, you're in trouble. Uh, <laughs> I know you're joking there. No, we yeah, we require that you do dress. <laughs> <laughs> you know that's, but uh, no, I mean we don't have a code. We don't have anything like that. I don't know what that. I mean, I really don't. I'm not trying to be facetious or sarcastic. I don't know at all uh, what the aquarist here is talking about because. We don't, at Main Street, where I preach, have a dress code. Now, do I dress differently on Sunday than I do the rest of the week or on Wednesday? Sure, uh, because of the nature of what I'm going to do. There's be. something about appropriateness. That's right. But uh, you're not binding no, that. Not. On, no, and and, and uh, so and my guess is Randy, who sent in this email, he may know some instances where people did try to force or bind a dress code. I'd be opposed to that. Yeah. Because, because, again, what we're saying, and I think what we're going to see consistently throughout here, is that we're going to object any time a person is trying to bind something that they can't establish with scriptural argumentation. If you've got scripture for it, then I'm, I'm saying let's do it. But if you can't, and, and you can't go any place in the scripture and find a dress code well, for worship. Right. In, in fact, in James chapter two, James warns about some who would look down upon people who came into their assembly who were dressed in poor clothing. In other words, the rich who were dressed in fine clothing looked down on those who didn't have the same finery, and it was a respect of persons. And James condemned that by inspiration. So, but having said that, there there is I, I would. I certainly have a sense of what's appropriate at those occasions, and I'm going to try to dress appropriately. I think anybody who's got a right heart will try to do so, but I can't force anybody to wear any specific kind of clothes. I'm going to, as you said, I'm going to insist <laughs> that we're clothes, but I don't think we can insist on any specific kind. Absolutely. Let's go quickly to point five. Some people require that you attend their church to be saved. What about that? Well, I don't require that, and I don't have a church, by the way. Uh, when you say their church, it's as if it belongs to someone. Uh, I hear people talk about that all the time. You know, here's how we do it at my church, or how are things at your church? Uh, well, I don't have a church. Jesus said that he would build his church, and he called it my church, and he's the one who owns it and purchased it with his blood. So I don't use that kind of language. But when someone says, uh, well, you, you have to attend their church to be saved, I think what he's getting at is he, he's lumping every religious group in together as if they're denominations. And so in his mind, I suppose, the Church of Christ would be a denomination like the Baptist Church, the Methodist Church. And here is just this one group of religious folks over here, uh, this denomination over here, as he would understand it, who says, hey, we, we've got the better product and uh, because we've got the better product, we're the only way to salvation. You need to come over here to, to our assembly, to our worship, if you want to. To our that. way of doing things. That's right. But, uh, the, but the implication of that is that their way of doing things is different than others and that you have a choice and so forth. 
here's what we're teaching, actually. We're teaching that there actually is only one true church of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The Bible teaches that. That's right. Ephesians 4, verse 5, or Ephesians 4, verse 4 says there's one body, mm-hmm. one spirit, even as you call one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who's above all and through all and in you all. Ephesians 4, 4, there's one body. Earlier in that same epistle, Paul said in chapter 1, verses 22 and 23, that he is the head over the church, which is his body. There's one body, and the body is the church. There's just one church. Now, that's not me saying that. That's, that's the right. Scripture saying that's that. Right. Now, and, it's no, and it's no more out and it's, there. And it's not my church. It's not Christian's that's church. Right. It's not anybody else's church. It's But there is just one. Mm-hmm. Paul wrote that there's just one body, one church. Now, what then becomes our challenge is to find that one true church of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. There's a lot of human religious organizations out there, but there's just one true church of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and we have to find it. In other words, I'm, to be saved, I've got to be in that one body of Jesus Christ, his true church. And and we have in the past talked about the identifying characteristics of that church, what 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 it's like, what it does, and so forth. But... In other words, if if Greg has a church or Chris has a church, I'd be glad for them to disappear just like every other human religious organization. Let's get back to the one true church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, that's right. You hear a lot of folks talking about we need to move ahead to the 21st century. Well, my contention is we need to go back to the first century. We know if we go back there and do what they did, if we do what these folks did, by way of worship to the Lord, the New Testament church that was not condemned, that we're doing right when we do that. Okay, we're going to have to move quick here. Points 6 and 7 kind of go together, talking about music. He says, some require the use of their style of music. They prohibit the use of musical instruments because instruments are not mentioned in the New Testament, even though they use lots of other devices not mentioned in the New Testament. Well, the fact of the matter is that instrumental music in worship to God is not mentioned in the New Testament. That's true. Mm-hmm. But that's not our objection. Our, our objection is not so much that it's not mentioned in the New Testament, that it's not authorized. Yeah. That's the objection. There are a lot of things that are not mentioned in the New Testament right. that would be authorized. You, you, you drove over here in an automobile. That's, that's right. not, mentioned not mentioned in the, in the, New, in the Testament. New Testament. But it's okay. Yes, that's right. It's authorized in the command to go. Uh, when Jesus said, go, therefore, and make disciples, or go and preach the gospel, uh, one can go. He can go by boat. He can go by plane. So we don't, we're not arguing that a thing has to be specifically mentioned, That's but right. it does have to be authorized. That's right. And it and doesn't it, have to be specifically authorized. It can be generically authorized. Exactly. The, this program that we're doing tonight, the, the methods that we're using, like the microphones, the computers, those things are without... Those are some of those devices not mentioned in the New Testament, right. but they're, they're authorized in the general sense of, of going, go and preach. That's right. They aid us in carrying out the command. We're not doing anything more. Uh, than carrying out the command. Well, when we speak into these microphones and it goes into this computer and goes out over the Internet, we're still just preaching and teaching the Word of God. We're not doing anything different. Absolutely. But when in worship to God we sing and play an instrument, then we're adding something different. That's the distinction. That's the difference. It would be the same thing as adding peanut butter sandwiches to the Lord's Supper. Doesn't say not to. That's right. There's no mention of that in the New Testament. There's no condemnation of it. And yet it's not authorized in the command to eat the Lord's Supper. There are elements in the Lord's Supper, the, the bread and the fruit of the vine, and those must be the only elements of the Lord's Supper. 
uh, and the element of musical praise in the New Testament church. And so again, we're not binding our opinion here. We're trying to right. accurately interpret the New Testament and do what it says and be be Christians as those first Christians were. And you know, it's kind of interesting that you do a historical study of this and almost, in fact, without exception, every historical reference I've ever read indicated that the first century Christians worshipped without instrumental That's music. Right. Historians do not well, dispute that. Well, it's hardly 500 years old as far as its religious use. Yeah. If I could say one more thing about that, and I'll try to be brief. Quick, uh, man, we got a couple okay. minutes. You know I grew up in the denominational world. We, we've had that discussion here before. Uh, I want to be very clear and very honest about this. I'm not trying to make a grand point if it was up to me if it were if my preference were authority we would have musical instruments because we'd have a whole a whole orchestra if it was up to me well okay i mean see i i prefer the piano i like the sound of it the issue for me is not what do i prefer but rather what is exactly. authorized exactly right and we're not trying to bind our own because if it was our opinion we'd do differently that's right in other words we're trying to adhere to the scriptures i'm not, I'm not just saying i'm not either i'm not either i agree with you wholeheartedly the one last point here was modern day pharisees would prohibit all attendance at movies and dancing on principle i don't i, I don't do that i don't i don't prohibit all attendance at movies I mean, they're, they're, you, you pick out a G-rated movie that's got a decent right. uh, thing. I wouldn't object if I go. I do object people going to dirty movies. That's right. I do, too. And and I don't object to all dancing on principle. We just had a, a whole uh, virtual Bible study on dancing. If you'd like to look at the archive, you can. There's some kind of dancing that I, dancing that I don't think is condemned by the uh, scriptures. And what a husband and wife might do in the privacy of their home is not condemned. But lasciviousness is condemned. That's right. And that's the problem with modern dancing, the kind of dancing that young people do, the kind of dancing that takes place when they go to the prom. It's lasciviousness. We don't have time to get into detail with that, but go back and listen to our archive. on it. In summary, we've got to say, and we so appreciate Randy for listening and for sending in this email. He said he wanted to generate some discussion, and hopefully he sees that he has done that. What we're saying is the Pharisees certainly received Jesus' condemnation, but it was not because they taught a strict adherence to the law of Moses. It was because they tried to add things to it. We are not condemned when we try to encourage people to strictly obey the New Testament law of God today. We would be condemned if we were trying to add to it, trying to add our traditions, trying to add our opinions. We can't do that, and we would be wrong to do that, and we will oppose anybody who does. Chris, thanks for being here tonight, buddy. Well, thank you, and thanks again to the elders at College Chief for the opportunity to preach the truth tonight. We're out of time. We appreciate all who are listening to the virtual Bible study tonight. Make it a point to be here on Thursday nights. Lord willing, we're here every Thursday night on the Internet, 8 o'clock Central Time. Uh, of course, adjust that if you're in a different time zone because we typically have listeners from all over the country and even from some foreign countries. We're glad for all who listen and uh, spread the word. Tell others about the virtual Bible study. Until next time, continue to read and study your Bible every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to the virtual Bible study brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 930 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College 
College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.